Guys, the guest of this episode was such an absolute delight to speak with. Holly Copeland is exactly the kind of person who should be doing social impact work within a big major corporation. She puts community first, she has lived experience, and she empowers community to lead. Holly is the Senior Director of Corporate Social Responsibility, Sustainability, and Impact at Horizon Therapeutics, a major American pharmaceutical company. Now, honestly, Horizon Therapeutics blew me away. Prior to joining Horizon, Holly served in leadership at the state of Illinois, supporting small businesses. She served in not-for-profit as a director of development, grinding for grants to serve community, and she has bridged corporate, government, and the not-for-profit sector. And today's conversation is about breaking down what authentic giving really looks like. Really excited for today's episode. Let's get to it. How does the activist land the corporate dollars to make change? How does the child leave a movement? Hello, Greta, anyone. And how did the millennial convince the boomer? What do these situations have in common? They had make or break moments where influence was created and light bulbs went off. I'm Rebecca Nedelik, and this is Nuance of Impact, a podcast to get lost in the stories of those making change. Together, we'll chat, learn, and ponder the nuanced make-or-break moments that make social impact so impactful. All right, I am so excited to have Holly from Horizon Therapeutics here today. Holly is the Senior Director of Corporate Social Responsibility, Sustainability, and Impact for Horizon Therapeutics. And I had so much fun in our pre-conversation before this discussion today. And I know that um, I'm just so excited. I'm so excited to have you. So thank you for being here, Holly. Thank you. I'm, I'm very happy to be here. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about how you got into the social impact space. Sure. Um, so I, I actually, I studied business in undergrad and had intended to kind of pursue a business path. Um, but having come from a, a low income background myself, um, found myself at sort of a crossroads when it came to choosing my internship. And one path was working for a nonprofit organization that was dedicated to anti-poverty work. And the other path was an internship with Morgan Stanley. Um, so two very different paths. And, and ultimately, um, I, I ended up going with the, the path that my heart seemed to be called to, which was the anti-poverty route. And that really started a, a journey of um, different jobs that, um, although it was started in the nonprofit sector and then evolved into to government and now in the corporate sector, um, there was always this, this theme of seeing how I could maximize and leverage my role in ways that would give back and have an impact to the community. Mm. And what made you, I guess maybe we'll start with talking a little bit about Horizon because I actually, I didn't know a ton about Horizon before our conversation. Um, and I want folks to understand a little bit about the work and I will say, so I'll just, I'll start off by saying Horizon is a drug company. That is correct. Yes. And pharmaceutical company. sorry, it's pharmaceutical company. Yep. And when we first had started this conversation, I was like, okay, like, you know, what would a pharmaceutical company be doing that's so fascinating in the social impact space? And through our conversation, I was just, I was blown away. Um, and you had talked a little bit about the story of the company and sort of why, let's start there. Let's start at the story of the company and the social impact, how it's woven through throughout the years. Absolutely. So it, it's, it's a bit of a unique story. Um, I, I agree with you. Like even when I was considering different roles that I would take, um, and, and Horizon presented itself, it was 
Um, it was a relatively younger company. So I think by most measures, it would have been considered a startup at the time. And, and I didn't know how I felt about going into this whole new sector of healthcare that, you know, is, it was new to me. Um, but what I really fell in love with was, was the story of Horizon. And, and a big driver of that is its leader, its founding CEO, Tim Walbert. So um, Tim is, is actually a patient himself, right? So he has um, a couple of autoimmune diseases and, and that really influenced um, his perspective when he took the reins of the company. So um, when he, he joined, you know, he's employee number one and it was just this one medicine and, and he wanted to build and, and grow it. Um, and of course, commercialize it in all the ways that, that the business world likes to see um, profitability of being, you know, front and center. Um, but he also, because of his own story, wanted to build a company that really embraced this idea of giving back from its inception. And so at the time when the company was just, again, like five, six years old, when I um, was uh, fortunate enough to, to get to in, uh, meet Tim, um, he had already been giving and there was no structure, there was no strategy, there was no benefit tied to it. It was just something that he wanted to do and that he felt was important. And so um, the opportunity to kind of join a, an entrepreneurial um, culture where there was this drive from the top all the way down to the bottom to really think creatively about how we could integrate impact into this business um, from its inception, despite not being a B Corp, despite not being a social entrepreneurship venture, um, was incredibly exciting and something that I, I just feel very fortunate to have been able to be a part of. Hmm. And what led you, obviously, you know, you started your career very early on with, um, with an, ex I don't want to say an excitement, but a passion for work in the poverty area. What, what led you there? Yeah, I think, you know, sometimes our life experiences can be the, the biggest motivator. And so, so for me, you know, I came from a, a, a lower income background and, um, you know, there was college wasn't necessarily even on my radar for a while. Um, I had a child when I was a senior in high school at 18. And, and so it just, um, it felt like the cards were sort of set for me on like what my future would look like. And due to um, a series of just really fortunate um, opportunities that kind of fell into my lap, um, it, I, I had access to a different path. And so, so for me, there was always this, this, um, attention paid to how access to opportunities can really shape the ability of people to reach their full potential. And, um, you know, also acknowledging like my white privilege in the midst of all of that, right? Like you say opportunities kind of fall upon you and there are a variety of factors and variables that, that even drive what opportunities fall into your lap. Um, but for me, again, it was just sort of acknowledging that, you know, if there hadn't been these particular moments or these particular individuals, um, going out of their way to, to create space for me to, to grow and to head in a different direction, my life and my daughter's lives would look very different. And so I wanted to, to figure out ways to, to, to pay that forward and create space for others to, to also reach their full potential. Hmm. Yeah. I think it's funny when we talk about like, I, I have always resonated with this idea that, you know, a series of opportunities sort of came up and I acted on them. And, you know, it's why I sort of found, I found myself where I am in my career. We don't often think about it in terms of like the other factors that have lined up for us. You know, what about me being in that room at that time? Um, what allowed me to be there? That's right. Yeah. That's exactly right. 
And so you said sort of giving started at the very beginning for Horizon. Um, we talked a lot about like authenticity, you know, why when a company begins, when giving is integrated from the very beginning, why that plays such an important role and it and why it can really differ from, you know, a corporate social responsibility strategy that's simply focused on, say, you know, reputation and brand. Like, what are your thoughts on sort of how authenticity has played a role in what you folks are doing over at Horizon? It seems to me that uh, authenticity is is the goal for a lot of companies that are engaged in giving back, right? Like they want to come across um, as though their their work is altruistic and and really kind of coming from the right places. And, and um, you know, I think where that breaks down uh, where people can kind of see through the, the the smoke and mirrors, I guess, is um, is if it is in response to a particular event, like some sort of like crisis, right? And and you're responding um, in a reactive way, um, or if it's really reactive to just the changing dynamic in the business environment as a whole, right? We now have more active stakeholders, more active consumers. Um, particularly the younger generations who are saying, you know, we expect more out of our, our communities that are benefiting um, from our schools and our roads and our infrastructures. And they're, they're driving all these profits and this talent, but there's this lack of investment and in sort of acknowledging um, that the reason they're doing so well is at least partially due to the fact that they exist in this space and this community. And, and so it seems to me that like, if you kind of, um, try to approach giving back um, after it's demanded, you'd lose the ability to kind of claim authenticity. What, it, what needs to happen is, is really the ethos from the beginning to, to acknowledge, like we know that we cannot grow this, this business in a healthy way unless we're supporting our community and, and supporting this virtuous cycle where we're feeding the cycle that that's then feeding the business. And, and if you do that early on, um, you know, I would argue, and I think a lot of folks at Horizon would argue, um, you can see the tangible benefits of that, right? So mm -hmm. from the beginning, giving back at Horizon was something that everyone knew is just part of what we did. And, and we didn't have a lot of money at the beginning. The company wasn't even profitable when Tim made the decision to invest in CSR, which, you know, by some measures in the business world could have been kind of risky, right? Like build mm -hmm. the business, become profitable and then give back. And mm -hmm. instead he was like, no, I want this to be a part of who we are. We're going to give back and invest in that just as we would invest in these other areas. And, and what that did was it, it, it created this story where employees that came to the company believed in in how we show up and then started to contribute and we started to attract talent that would see how we show up in the community and say you know my job's in facilities or in human resources and yet I'm drawn to this company because of how they show up in the communities and the authenticity that it seems exists and then they come in and they're like this is real is this real is this is real um, which is exciting because it's just it's such a lovely place to work because we now have all of these employees that of approach the work with the same mindset. Like I want to show up and do my day job. And I also want to partner with our CSR team to see how I can give back. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, I was told very early on um, in working in the CSR space that you have to, I was at the time I was doing consulting on the side and I had chatted with, um, she's actually, was actually on season one. Her name is Mary Co. Kubota. And she, at the time was the, um, director of community investment for mountain equipment co-op, which is kind of like REI in, um, in Canada. 
in fact, she were just bought recently, but she had told me, she talked a little bit about like when you're working in social impact space, you really have to understand your leadership. You have to understand like what's driving them to give. It sounds like, you know, in hearing a little bit about you and sort of where your career started, that there had to be a reason for you, like what led you to horizon? What led you to work for this leader? Um, Mm -hmm. And to pursue this path, like coming from doing not-for-profit anti-poverty work and then moving into pharmaceuticals, like, tell me, tell me about that. Yes. Well, so I think it's, it's a bit about the, the journey for me having started in nonprofit, you know, I felt like there were many times where, you know, I was approaching decision makers and, and people who had access to resources and, and almost begging, right? Like we're helping people, we're changing their lives. We're feeding children breakfast. They need breakfast to, to do well in school. And, and oftentimes, you know, the people you're talking to, they just have a deaf ear and, and you get so frustrated. Like, why can't I, I convince them to do the right thing? And so that really is, is part of the motivation that led me to, to, to go to government where, um, you know, I worked for, I, at the time he was Lieutenant Governor, but then he, he became governor. And, and I really saw the work with him that I did with him as an opportunity to pull the levers and the strength of government, um, the power of convening, the power of access to resources to invest in partnerships that were making change happen on the ground. And, and that was really exciting to kind of be on the, the other side of that. And then the transition to the corporate sector is in my mind, just sort of like that next step in the evolution of where can we go to, to have transformational change, right? Like it's mm-hmm. government can, has the ability to sort of have an effect for a moment in time when your, your leader is in power for that four years or eight year duration, but then someone else comes in and a whole new team comes in and they have their own priorities. And so your impact is really, it's short, short lived. Mm-hmm. Um, but in the corporate sector for me, what I, I found was this excitement around being able to harness sort of that long-term, that strategic impact and and to do it in this case for me with horizon with this entrepreneurial um, culture within the organization right it was such a new organization and and our leader Tim he's he's very entrepreneurial minded um, it felt to me like a place where I could go and have the freedom to mm. be truly creative and and build and 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 try things out um, you know I did not want to end up in a place where, it was more of like being a cog in the wheel. Like, this is how we do things. We do our RFP, we collect the proposals, we submit, you know, the funding, we collect the quarterly reports. And then at the end of the year, we publish this big paper that's like a, a, a ream of paper thick. It's a report that most people don't even read. And, mm-hmm. and like, what's the true transformational impact there? And instead, what I saw at Horizon was an opportunity to say, you know, we're going to kind of reinvent things here. We're going to try things that might fail, but we're going to be really creative. And we've got the support of our leadership to, to do that. And it's, it's been very rewarding because we've had some pretty great wins along the way. Mm. Yeah. I, I always, um, I always say like, I think it maybe now once you've worked for, and when you say entrepreneurial, I think what I'm hearing is like a level of autonomy, a led, a level of grit, a level of hustle, like a level of agility, like an ability to, you know, put the reins in the hands of community and let them lead and guide um, versus, you know, getting, I, someone said, and actually a partner said this to me recently, they said, um, 
they said death by framework instead of a corporation, you know, death by framework where um, they're so reliant in their way of doing things that they're not really listening. They're not really mm-hmm. understanding. That's um, exactly yeah. Resonance. Right. It, 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 <laughs> I, I think I, I, the only thing I would add to that description of the entrepreneurial um, approach that I, I, I really appreciate is kind of removing the fear of failure. Like some people are mm. so afraid to fail or that their idea is not going to work out that they, they don't try new creative things. They don't push boundaries and, and at Horizon having the ability to say, this might not work out, but let's give this a shot. No one's done this before. Like we're dreaming here. We're dreaming. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes dreams don't turn out the way you think, but the ability to be able to do that with the supportive leadership um, has been very helpful. And then I think to your, to your other comment, um, you know, that's part of what I think differentiates the way that we approach our partners is to really place a lot of value in their voice. What are their needs? What are their gaps? And how can we join them shoulder to shoulder as a partner to help solve problems with them as opposed to coming to them with, you know, here's the narrow parameters of what we would like to fund and what we would like to see. And you need to fit to that, that narrow scope, or we're not going to fund you, Um, Mm -hmm. which having been on the nonprofit side myself, I understand how challenging that is because you're chasing dollars, but then you end up with mission creep and you're in, you're doing things that, you know, it's not your area of expertise, but you're trying to make it work because you need the money. And it's just, um, it's not a, a good situation for driving outcomes. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's um, also, I, I also started a not-for-profit. And for me, it was, I always say I wanted to go into corporate because I wanted to level the power dynamics. There's this incredible power dynamic between funders and not-for-profit organizations. And the funders need the not-for-profit organizations, you know, like on the funding side, there usually is a board, you know, a stakeholder, somebody who wants to make sure that there's good things happening. And, you know, that the, the reins of that, like are, are with the not-for-profit organization or with the community. And so, um, yeah, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't agree more. And you're right. Like you end up doing things that don't relate to what you're supposed to be doing and you're bending over backwards, not because of what your community asked for, exactly. but because of under. Yeah. So where did, where did the portfolio start? And I'm, I'm like totally leading you here because I want to hear about the school, which is what I think is just so interesting and cool about horizon. Sure. Um, so the, the portfolio originally started, you know, it's interesting, just like from a, a strategy perspective, like we wanted to just throw a whole bunch of stuff on the wall at the beginning. Cause we're like, we have no idea what's going to resonate with our employees, which partners we want to work with. And so we did a lot of initial like events-based support where we could just kind of start the process of getting engaged. And um, at that time we also did a lot of benchmarking. So we wanted to not reinvent the wheel entirely, but to kind of understand what our peers were doing um, of similar size in our industry and, and what we found through those exercises was one, none of our peers were actually giving back at all yet. Um, so we were so small. What? Yes, we were so small at the time that they, we just, no one had really kind of thought about it. They weren't organized enough and they just hadn't, which again, coming from an entrepreneurial culture, it was very exciting because we were like, okay, mm-hmm. we actually really get to define what it means to give back for companies of our size. Um, so it's like a, a, a clean slate on um, what we were going to start with. Um, but then we, you know, we went through the steps of, all right, now that we've kind of started introducing ourselves to partners, 
what are our priority areas of giving? Where is there alignment with our, our business, right? You have to build that bridge between the business and, and, and the priority areas of giving. So one example, one of our pillars of giving is STEAM, science, technology, engineering, arts, and mathematics. And the idea there was, you know, we're a healthcare company. We want to invest in our future leaders. We want to invest in our future diverse leaders. And so funding programs that, that train kids on how to do STEM and the innovation and ideation process makes sense, right? Um, so we identified those, those pillars of giving. And, and then we, we just wanted to, I mean, the, 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 you mentioned the school, like the, the intention was to find partners that we could grow with, like mm -hmm. recognizing like our youth in, in the developmental stage as a company and, and that like we were starting to kind of put our foot in the door, but as the company grew, there was this commitment to also grow our philanthropy. And then we wanted to grow with our partners. So, mm -hmm. um, so we we're very intentional about like which partners we onboarded and whether or not there were those growth opportunities that existed. And, and one of course is Perspectives Math and Science Academy, this, this school on the, the South side of Chicago that um, is a big, big part of our engagement and our, our CSR portfolio. Mm. And again, totally leading here. Like what is unique about the school? <laughs> sure. Um, so I, yeah, I'll never forget the, we had been kind of looking around for a school to partner with. It was mm -hmm. um, the Crane's um, article actually a couple of years um, prior that had called on the business community in Chicago and said, you know, if every Chicago business partnered with a school, the schools would be so much better off as a result. And so that was kind of in the back of our minds of like, we want to answer this call to action, but we also want to think about how we can have a legacy partnership and impacting like the next generation of leaders. Um, so I, I came across through an introduction, um, the one of the co-founders of this school, and um, we were sitting and, you know, she, she started crying, kind of talking about like the the unique pedagogy of the school and, and just, you could see her passion of um, wanting to address sort of like the pink elephant in the room when it comes to certain student populations, right? It's like, there are so many drivers in the education space for like test scores and college. And, you know, we, we got to get the kids, you know, in the, in the seats, learning their math lessons. And um, from her experience, having previously been a Chicago public school teacher, it just, ignored the fact that there are so many kids that have trauma and, and complex trauma and um, that that manifests in ways that impairs their ability to learn. And, and by us just not dealing with that or not acknowledging it was really doing a disservice to, to everyone. And so the pedagogy at the school is really around the social, emotional health and well-being of the kids. So we're going to educate the kids and we're going to deliver the math lessons. Um, but we're also going to wrap around them social emotional support, healthy coping skills, and, and teach them how to navigate life, knowing that their, their lived experience has all these complexities attached to it. Um, so yeah, she had me, I was like, sold. like, where, how could we be supportive? Um, luckily, one of the, the schools in the network is a math and science academy. So there was the, mm -hmm. the, the connection to our, our core business. And um, and the, the, the relationship has, has evolved. Like we, we kicked it off by um, launching a holiday drive. So what initially started was just this one donation drive. Now it's, it's a year long effort where we, we support the, the homeless students at the school. They have transitional housing situations. It's about 10% of the student population um, year over year. And, and so we make sure they have all the, the you know, a, a, 
items that are helpful for like a really nice holiday season with them and their families. Um, we provide school supplies and uniforms. We make sure that the, the um, seniors that are heading off as first generation college students, most of the times have college kits, like all the essentials they need for their dorms. Um, so that's kind of how we launch, but now it's more than, I think we're at 1.5 million in support, uh, more than a thousand employee volunteer hours, um, a ton of infrastructure projects at the school. Um, from the, a personalized learning lab to a centralized front office location. Um, there's lead in the Chicago Public School, uh, like water supply across the city. It's been a, a, an ongoing issue. So we installed these water filtration stations so the kids have access to guaranteed lead-free drinking water. Um, we also invested in a, a piece of meditation room at the school, which I think this is a great example of what we were discussing earlier about kind of responding to the expressed needs of the partner. Um, the school had identified that, you know, oftentimes the kids, um, you know, they're in the classroom and they have trauma. It might manifest in the classroom, something's triggering and, um, you know, they, they engage in a behavior that historically would have led them into detention or being suspended from school, right? And, um, and we know that the, what's behind this is trauma, right? And, and so instead, how can we be proactive in, in keeping those kids in school and helping them work through their uncomfortable emotions? And so we built this piece of meditation room. Actually, students were alongside our employees, like hammering and putting things together. Um, and then we, we also cover the, the full-time salary of the gentleman who's in the room. And so now when the kids are in the classroom and their nervous systems are activated, the teacher will refer them to the peace room and the gentleman walks through healthy coping skills with them, right? Helps them unpack, like, why did they react the way they did? Let's mm -hmm. do deep breathing techniques. Um, and the goal is to get them back in the classroom. Mm -hmm. um, and so we've got now um, very excited. We've got the, the data that supports that their, their uh, suspension rate, their detention rate has gone down since this, this new practice was um, mm -hmm. instituted at the school. So you know, our goal is, you know, just to be very transformational or, or facilitating transformation at the school, understanding that the school knows what they need to do. The kids mm -hmm. know what they need to do. It's just there are all these obstacles that's been thrown in their way. And, and we really see our role as, as like the, the blocker, or the defender, not to use a football analogy, because I don't <laughs> even like football, but like <laughs> our intention is to like help remove some of those obstacles. So it's easier for those kids to reach their full potential and for the school to, to do what their mission is, which is to educate the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. Let me tell you why I think it's so like the school piece is so interesting. It's because I think any community investment portfolio I've ever been involved with or CSR portfolio is geared around like diverse investments across a wide geographic region or you know if it's steam then it's supporting steam across various regions and various areas and um and that has its merit you know like i i do think that there's merit there but i had a conversation with someone yesterday that really validated you know this thought and it was this idea that like we're making collectively we're making these huge investments in these areas of focus you know like cancer research or health and wellness outcomes or reconciliation for indigenous communities. Like we're making these large investments into these high priority needs. And what this person said yesterday is it was, we were doing a pre conversation for a podcast interview and they, they said, well, like we don't feel right now, our whole organization doesn't feel like we're succeeding. We're failing. We're failing immensely. And I was like, Ooh, like that sucks. Like, tell me more about that. And they just said, you know, 
when we look at the statistics over the last 20 years, and we've been around for the last 20 years and millions and millions of dollars have invested, we may have made an impact for, you know, 10, 20 kids in their life, lifetimes or whatever, hundred kids in their lifetimes, their lifetime. But when we look at the data overall, we're not doing it. Like mm-hmm. we're, we're not, we haven't done, the needle hasn't changed. You know, representation hasn't changed. Um, equity in the space hasn't changed. Access to, um, for them, a big one is risk, being able to, to take chances and have risks and have the support systems behind them. It hasn't changed. And what I think is so cool about what you guys are doing is that by focusing on one school over, you know, I, and I, I, okay, maybe correct me if I'm wrong over 20 years, right? No, just five. Okay. Over five years. But like the plan is to continue on with this. You're really able to see a full transformational impact because you're just focusing on this one school. You're creating full opportunity. I I couldn't agree with you more. And I think, and that's the strategy that we're trying to apply with our partnerships is you can spread yourself really thin and be able to say, look at all this stuff that we're doing across the board, but does it actually lead to transformational impact versus stepping back and saying, all right, we're going to actually work with a smaller group of partners and we're going to go so deep with them. We're going to place employees on their board. We're going to get our interns volunteering during the summertime on different projects to help the organization. And in the case of perspectives, think about like the full life cycle. So we've got, you know, children that are homeless, right? They cannot show up in the classroom if they're worried about the fundamental things that they need. So we support the school in ways that helps address those, those fundamental needs the kids have. If we talk about the kids' future and they do really well in, in high school and then they get, um, you know, this accepted to college, but then they don't have the resources to attend college, how are we supporting them and being successful long-term? So Another example, we just launched a, um, a new scholarship program. We're calling it the Horizon Scholars, but it's an endowed scholarship. And then each year we'll be adding a new one um, at Howard. And those are, um, I'd say reserved, but the prioritization is for graduates of Perspectives Math and Science Academy. So we, we worked with them, looked at the data. They have a number of kids who apply. And because the financial aid need is so high, there's just not a lot of resources to go around. So now we're going to be able to help the kids, not just in high school, but in college. And then we're going to host them as summer interns and hopefully be hiring them. Right. I mean, it's creating that full life cycle and that's how you have transformational impact, Mm -hmm. right? You don't, in, in my opinion, you, you don't just like make a science lab and cut a ribbon and be like, all right, we help the community. Let's pat ourselves on the back, right? Like, let's think about like what the kids in this case really need to be successful in life to end up in living wage jobs where we can have transformation of communities. So that's what we're trying to do is think about that full life cycle. Totally. And I think, you know, even like I think going back to what you were talking about with your lived experience and your background and, you know, having to deal with poverty yourself and having it, having a child young and like this experience, you think about like, you think about all the opportunities that happened along the way. Right. And then you realize like, okay, if it had stopped at opportunity one, like I wouldn't be here. You know what I mean? If it stopped at opportunity five, like, okay, that would have been great, but that would have been me, you know, five years ago or eight years ago or 10 years ago, whatever. And so it's, um, it's a really interesting way to look at it because I do think that we often go into investments with like, you know, the science lab is going to make a huge impact and it might, but it's only opportunity one of 40 that's needed in order to make true change. 
That's right. That's right. And and I think too, you know, applying this lens of equity to the way that the 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 donations or the support is extended to, because I'm I'm hearing you and I'm also thinking like the, the structure of the scholarship. We <laughs> actually lowered the GPA so kids wouldn't feel this pressure that they had to like be perfect and have this really high GPA because it also ignores all of the, the, the variables that they're bringing with them. They're not coming from like a tutored, you know, wonderful suburban neighborhood, right? Like they have family issues that they're gonna come with them to school. They're gonna have to work while they're at school. So, so let's make the, the, the distribution of the funding in a way that, that promotes equity as well. Mm-hmm. You know, I really, we did the same thing with um, the scholarship program that I was managing. And we, you know, we went to renew all the scholarships. It was hundreds of institutions. And the first thing we did was we increased financial need as a priority and then reduced academic success as a priority. And it's so funny because like in what world, like I, maybe it's different, like, correct me, if it's different in the States than Canada, then, you know, let it be. But I've never been asked for my GPA. Like, have you ever, you know, had a job and been, rec- yeah, I asked for your GPA. Never, never. And <laughs> my, my high school daughters, there was this like really strange culture at their school to take as many AP classes as possible. And, you know, basically to like kill yourself with no sleep. So you can, you know, get into the best school and, and half of the kids end up at like, just a you know, a great, like a state university, yeah. like none of that was necessary. So I'm with you. Like, it just seems like um, it's not a marker of, of success and like success in the sense of like what your contribution can be towards mm-hmm. a career, a job, a community. Mm-hmm. Or I think even, you know, even talking about things like the things that aren't, you know, necessarily, there's not a ton of priority put on in school, things like presentation skills, right? Or things that come with like emotional intelligence, things that if you come from a background where adversity was a big part of, of your history, then, and your story, then you're likely going to be able to show up in a work environment with a lot of emotional intelligence, a lot of appreciation yeah, of yeah. what people are going through. So yeah, I, I agree. The equity lens is really interesting when we think about um, opportunity and also when when we look at putting more emphasis on life experience and what people have overcome, like there's so much Absolutely. more potential. For sure. And the adaptability. I mean, I used to say this all the time, like poor people are the most resourceful and entrepreneurial because you have to hustle to survive. So you are constantly you know, fill in holes and patching things over. And if you could take those life skills and transfer them into the workplace, they could be your greatest assets in a, in a work setting. Absolutely. It's so, yeah, it's so interesting. Um, and I mean, when you think about like authenticity overall for an organization, for an organization to understand that and to, for, I, you just think about like interview questions are never, you know, how did you do in your stats class, your university stats class? It's, <laughs> right? It's how do you handle conflict? <laughs> like that's uh that's what a priority is. So yeah. Um, you were talking about steam, um, science, technology, engineering, arts, math. And you, when we had talked before, you were like arts, like that's the one, like that's, we're great because of the arts piece. Tell me why, like, I know arts has recently be added, been added into that acronym. It used to be STEM. Um, why, why is art so important? Um, so the, the A is very important in my opinion, because I think what it captures is um, how art 
can lead to creativity beyond just the, the visual art that you might create with a paintbrush or with a canvas. Um, but really, it's, it's the way that you think, right? It's the, this process of creating new things that don't exist um, as of today. It's, it's thinking outside of the bounds of, of what's real today. And to take that mindset, that process, that ideation process, and apply it to STEM fields, science, technology, engineering. Um, it, it's just a vital skill that you can leverage to dream up new innovations, new solutions, new medicines that are gonna help treat diseases that aren't currently being treated. And so to ignore that, um, it just, it does a really a big disservice to all the skills that are needed to be a really strong STEM leader. Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. It's almost like it's that translation, right? Taking something very structured and being able to do something new with it. That's right. Interesting. I think pharmaceutical companies get a bad rap. I I know I've been at, um, I manage a portfolio right now that works in the healthcare space. And I know that there's always, um, I think pharmaceutical companies get a bad rap. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. But I honestly, after talking with you, we talked a little bit about access to medicine and what Horizon is doing in that space. Tell me a little bit about that. Sure, yeah. I think what we've tried to do is, you know, I won't talk about like the business side because they have a very robust program that makes sure that patients have access to medicine regardless of their ability to pay. And I think sometimes that story kind of gets lost in this larger narrative of trying to understand like why healthcare is structured the way it is, why it costs as, as much as it does. It, it's just a very convoluted process. But, um, you know, at Horizon, there's this, this drive and commitment to making sure that patients have access to the medicine, regardless if they can afford to pay. I think, you know, from, from a CSR perspective, how we pull that commitment through is one example that I'll share is we have a partnership in Chicago with Mount Sinai. And the, the hospital there, we met with the leadership and we were exploring what are their pain points? What are their gaps? What do they need help with? And, and what they identified was that they serve a very low income population. And so they'll have patients come into their emergency room seeking support for chronic health conditions that would normally be treated by a primary care physician. Mm -hmm. and, and so the, the emergency room would get them stabilized and then discharge them with a prescription to manage their chronic condition. The $10 copay, even if they had Medicaid or Medicare, was too much. And so they wouldn't fill the prescription. And then they end up right back in the emergency room 30 days later because they're not taking care of this chronic condition. And so the, the hospital said, you know, if we could have help with covering the cost of their medications when they're discharged, like this would help break this, this cycle where they're, they're ending up back in here and we're not serving them in the way that, that they need to be served. Um, and so we, we seeded this, it's an access to care fund. And, you know, typically a pharmaceutical company might restrict the uses of that funding to their medicines, for example. Mm -hmm. um, but in this case, we said, whatever medicine the, the patients need access to when they're discharged, we'll cover it, we'll underwrite the cost of that so they can access their prescriptions at the pharmacy and, and hopefully we can start to break this cycle. And so we've now been supporting the program for a couple of years. I know that they've been able to get other funders um, involved, which is really exciting because we love to seed new ideas and hopefully grow them. But I think it's just one example of, um, again, trying to understand when it comes to access, like where are the pain points and where can we have an impact, right? Like we can't fix some of these larger issues, but what we can do is 
choose this one hospital with this one patient community and try to make their experience with the healthcare system and their treating their health conditions easier and better. Mm -hmm. So true. I mean, if there's anything I think any company can learn from Horizon, it's the benefit of going deep instead of going wide. Um, I think that's just, I think, yeah, I think that's incredible. It's just, I've never seen it before. I don't know companies that are doing it. I don't know philanthropists that are doing it. Like it's, yeah, it's incredible. Um, Closeout question for today. What would be the one piece of advice you give to somebody in the social impact space trying to influence a brand to be more authentic? Because I, I know if I was listening to this, I'd be like, yeah, but you know, Mr. CEO over here isn't going to be down for my, hey, you need to be more authentic, you know? So what would your advice be? I think it's, um, I feel like it's important to, to meet people where they are and to try to build a bridge with common language. Mm -hmm. So actually I credit my, my undergrad in business with being so helpful in helping me communicate the value of social impact to business leaders who don't have a background in social impact, right? Because sometimes we can just be missing each other with not just our perspectives, but our language, how we talk about impact, how we talk about value within a business setting. And, and you know, the fact is having a, a rich and robust culture that's strongly rooted in social impact has a very tangible impact in employee retention, recruitment, um, you know, turnover rates, all these, these data points that businesses pay a lot of attention to because there can be associated price tags with them. Um, having a, a, you know, the ability to engage employees and keep them happy leads to better business outcomes. And, you know, that's one example, but there are so many, right? Um, pay equity, for example, like your ability to attract top tier talent, um, you know, is increased when you can say, we're going to pay everyone equitably across gender and race, which by the way, we do at Horizon, only 1% of global companies do that. Um, so that's a part, actually, maybe if that, that would be my nugget, like meet people where they are, try to build common language and ask their leaders to do a pay equity study because <laughs> every company should be paying women and people of color equally for equal work. And the first step to do that is to do this study and, and mm. rectify any issues that might exist. Okay. Mm. I'm sorry. And I can't stop there because like, <laughs> I feel like you just opened a can. Why? I feel like that's like, you're like, look, I'm really passionate about this. Like, why, why are you so stoked on this study? <laughs> It's, it, it's mind blowing to me, uh, really, that 99% of global companies do not have pay equity. Like I just, I, I have a hard time processing why that's possible and, and why there isn't this sense of urgency to fix it now. Mm -hmm. um, and so like at, at Horizon, like I, it, it, it's probably outside of the social impact commitment it's, it's one of the attributes of working there that I am so proud of is that like the company says that, no, we're doing this. We're part of the 1% that's saying across gender, across race, like we will have pay equity. And, it, you know, it shouldn't be a bold statement. <laughs> it shouldn't be like something that like we should be proud of. It should be, well, of course, of course you have pay equity. So I don't know. I just, I feel like, again, it's important. Like when you, when you are a company that's saying that you're committed to, to community and to equity, you know, it's one of those fundamental steps that, that everyone should be taking. 
Well, if that's not a good note to end on, I don't know what is. Holly, thank you so much for being here. It was amazing speaking thank with you. you. I just, I can't wait to keep following Horizon, a company I wouldn't have known before this conversation, but I'm really excited to follow. Thank you. I was so happy to be here. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to, to share. Of course. There's something simple, maybe even wholesome or pure about impact that gets really lost in how big companies get involved. What I love about Horizon and about Holly is that they're getting back to the basics. They're listening to community and they're not making it about themselves. Something that really is what authentic giving is about. In my books anyway, they're an absolute star, a success for how a company should engage with their community. Nuance of Impact episodes are released every Wednesday. Get the behind the scenes glance of our guests and how we pull this together on Instagram at Nuance of Impact. We are super thankful to be producing season two with our amazing partner, Landmark Ventures, the curator of the Social Innovation Summit. We've linked info on the world-class leaders that are speaking at the Social Innovation Summit this year in the description. Honestly, check them out if you're interested in this topic. It's just the place to be. Listen to Nuance of Impact anywhere you get your podcasts. We will catch you next Wednesday.